If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs for ConnectingVets.com. Now we'll continue our conversation about traumatic brain injuries and the promise of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs, are the signature wound for combat vets of Iraq and Afghanistan. Doctors regularly only treat the symptoms of the long-term effects of every concussive-type head injury. Army veteran Margot Donahue's life is a shining example of how hyperbaric oxygen therapy heals the brain injury rather than just treating the symptoms. Like so many veterans, her story begins with Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2004, where she served as a military police helping the Iraqi police. Saw, um, you know, what everyone sees over there, friends dying, um, getting blown up, uh, returned back to Germany, and then went back over for a second tour. And that's when I got hit and um, my best friend was hit by an IED and two others and they were killed. So I had the perfect cocktail of a TBI and PTSD and um, returned back to Longstool and became my guinea pig years. Share with me real quick the divisions you were with. So in 0405, we were, um, I was with the 212th MP Company, 630th MP Battalion. Our mission was to help the IPs police the city, um, teaching them, you know, this is how you do it. We weren't so much um, guards of the bases, but we were out there patrolling along with the IPs, going to IP stations, making sure that they weren't corrupt, making sure that they kind of implemented new types of policing that would be more beneficial to them. And um, yeah, yeah. then the second tour, it was more focused on that, more um, IP stations, heavy um, patrolling of Iraq. We would have at least four trucks out all the time showing a presence. Um, we weren't so much route and security or trying to find IEDs, but that's what we basically did because we yeah. were always on the roads always trying to be with IPs at least once a day. Um, So yeah, it was just us trying to teach them how to better do their job. (laughs) And I only bring it up and wanted the specific kind of look at what you were doing there, because I think in America we hear train, advise, and assist. And that always just sounds nice, right? It sounds like you guys are in a classroom and you're giving PowerPoint presentations and look, we're training, we're advising, we're helping them. It sounds low risk, but what you and I both know, the brutal God's honest truth is that train, advise and assist means lives are getting lost. You were literally walking outside that wire with them, helping them do their job. Um, in what cities were you teaching them to police? If I could ask. I was in Baghdad mostly, um, yeah. but we would do Mosul. We would do borders of Iran. We would mostly um, Baghdad, Sadr City, just just the fun parts. <laughs> and right there, three of the greatest hits, right? Mosul, Baghdad, Sadr City. 
that southeast corner of Iraq, which was, you know, Sunni Shia. I mean, it was just um, God's work there. And Margot, I sincerely appreciate everything that you had to sacrifice in order to do that mission. Um, Take me to the bad day or one of the bad days. Take me to the injury, kind of how that went down. So, of course, we were with the IEPs at, it was a night mission trying to just show a presence. Um, the IEPs set us up. They, I was the first truck. There was an IP behind me. They dropped back about 400 meters and I was blown up and then they creeped up and they're like, I was blown up too. Um, so that just pisses me off. But, um, yeah, we were hit with a IED. I was in the gunning position. My head was thrown back into the turret. I woke up about 30 seconds later with what I imagined an inside of a vacuum would look like, just debris and crap and dust all around me. My sergeant was screaming at me saying, hey, 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 man, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just remember my ears feeling like they were on fire and just I just was making sure blood wasn't coming out of them because it hurt so much. But I was fine. I got up, did my 525s, you know, the five meters out, making sure that there's no other secondary devices and kind of just waiting for the conflict to start because on the wall to the right of me, it was just bolt holes. And um, luckily there wasn't any conflict. Um, They just hit us and went on their way. We waited for QRF. My truck was completely disabled. And then the next three days I was down with cotton in my ears, couldn't really talk. And then I um, went back to duty. Holy cow. You went back to duty after that. Uh, How long did the headache last? I mean, you were only down for, I mean, what was the length of the downtime? It was three days down, um, but I never stopped having a headache, but I didn't realize I had a headache because, you know, you're trained to be in the moment, in the, in the country doing your job. You don't want to let down your other soldiers. So I, yeah, I didn't want to let anyone down. So I went back to duty knowing that, I mean, who doesn't get a concussion over in Iraq? It's, you're lucky if you don't. Um, but the thing that pushed my injury over the top was three months later, we were on another routine patrol um, and we went over the IED. Nothing happened. I didn't know I was there, but it was a 50 pound IED that flipped the truck behind me, causing it to catch on fire. And the three people that were in it um, died instantly. And one of them was my best friend. And I had a lot of survivor's guilt from that because I went over it and I should have seen that. I should have been driving faster. I should, I should have stopped. I should have done something. Um, so that, that kind of triggered all these like things in my head to just be like, no, we're not going to work anymore. So I actually developed Bell's palsy from that. And that is the reason why I went back to launch tool was because my Lieutenant Colonel had Bell's palsy 20 years previous and he had to get electroshock therapy to try to treat it. And he's like, you're not going to have that happen. You're going back to the launch tool. Just take some time down and, um, and get better. And the doctor was like, you're never going back. You have such severe PTSD. You have horrible nerve pain in your head. Um, your, your days are over. And that was like a slap in the face. Cause I didn't say bye to anyone. I was like, I'll see you guys soon. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I, I, I wanted to be there. I wasn't trying to get out of anything. It was, um, yeah. Mm. And again, I compliment you on your ability to sort of look at the situation now in hindsight and you have full, full acknowledgement, full awareness of yeah. all the things that were wrong. 
it's not just the brain injury. It's not just seeing some things that are totally unseeable for the rest of your life, but it's the combination of that. It's, it's the merger between a massive head injury and guilt. And it's how that can marinate inside you, how that can stay inside you. And as the weeks and months and years go on, turn into something worse, turn into something deadlier. And it's the way that they treat it that we're about ready to hear that is just adding fuel to that fire is making a bad day worse. Let's unpack a little bit about the trajectory of coming home. So I got back and brain injuries were still pretty new. I got my spec scans. I got all that. They're like, well, you know, you should walk around with a helmet because one more incident you're going to die. And I'm like, no, that's good. (laughs) Thanks. Um, so they yeah, thanks. Them. I won't feel weird walking around the mall with a helmet on. Yeah. yeah thanks for helping my self-esteem along with this exactly. whole process you got going on. Yeah. So, um, the pain got worse. They would put me on lidocaine patches, uh, morphine patches, morphine pills. Um, and I would be driving on this and it was so dangerous, but I didn't know at the time, no one was just like, they were just giving me stuff, trying to like, I don't know if it was a, shut up thing or just that we don't know we don't know so here 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 here's pills and then I got brain surgery because I was so frustrated I was like just just cut it out of my head I don't know what's wrong with it but just cut it out so I had brain surgery to try to relieve a blood vessel hitting a nerve that was it was supposed to cure it um but six months later after the surgery it didn't it it just it was back um so they medically retired me from the military, sent me on my way. I um I moved to Ohio and was with the VA and they I did talk therapy, which it did help, but I I was still just getting pills for my pain. And I I had one doctor that told me I was only 21 at the time or 22. And he was like, you do not need to become a permanent patient. You, that's your job. Now you're a patient. And he didn't want that for me, but we were doing nerve ablation therapy. We were doing any kind of nerve pill. And then my um, advice counselor, I guess, from the military, he found out about HBOT from Dr. Harch. And he's like, Let's try to get you in. I wasn't going to be qualified because I had the brain surgery, but for some reason, Dr. Harch allowed me to come down. I got my first 40 treatments from him and it was, it was a game changer. I went through the typical loop of extreme depression, wanting to like punch everyone because it's part of the healing process. You go down before you go up. And then by the time I was done, I was only on one medication and it felt amazing. Um, and then about a year later, I felt like I needed to do more. So I found out about Rocky Mountain Hyperbaric Institute in Colorado. I did 40 more treatments with them and I was off all my medications. And um, then I was a kind of mixed HBOT with outdoor therapy, just breathing in oxygen because it's worked for me so far and I started getting into hiking and and biking and um, that's when my life started changing all right before we get uh further into the hyperbaric oxygen therapy part of it um I want to drill a little deeper you know into the medication part of your recovery and like all the drugs you were on man 
I don't remember much of that. I just remember watching a lot of Grey's Anatomy and being like, yeah, this, this is normal. <laughs> um, as a 22 year old, I should just be watching Grey's Anatomy all the time. There was, I, it was just the, the scariest part was I was driving to Fort Collins to see my dad and there was an accident in front of me. And because I was so doped up on my morphine pills, I managed to like do a like slow motion kind of matrix thing with my car. And I was like, whoa this is sweet and it was I was so high that I should have gotten into a massive accident but I was like it it was weird and that was when I was like hmm should probably stop this this isn't good this is wait a minute you drove not just past an accident on the side of the road literally through the middle of one occurring and you god bless holy cow cars spinning around you in lanes next to you and you literally could have been part of that accident but for some reason like you said drove through the matrix oh my god yeah it's not i mean it's not really bragging rights because i was too high to be driving but that's i mean my doctors were there was nothing saying do not drive on these so Mm. And again, I almost wanted to say right there, thank you, VA. Thank you, medical community, for allowing people here to go through situations like this. It is a miracle that you were not a statistic of a car accident, which, by the way, is how so many things, if it's not suicide, other people die in situations just like that. Oh, they were in a car accident. No, they were drugged up by the VA trying with just the worst methods ever to cure people's pain. Funny antidote to that. I was in Ohio, doped up, and I had to drive to therapy three times a week. And I was getting so tired that one time I almost drove in front of an ambulance, like lights on blaring. I told my therapist, and she was like, Well, let's just put you on some Ativan, right? That's to make you awake. And I was like, I don't think that's the right that's not the right therapy if i'm too tired to drive let's give me some kind of upper um <laughs> yeah you could try if like we told bartenders to do the same thing you sir have had too much tequila here let me just give you a little bit of this this is some cocaine this will keep you up for a little yeah. while there you go god what is wrong with people in the community i am so glad i am talking to you right now and uh, I mean that on every level that you hear that uh, you are here, you are doing great things. Let's talk about the road to get right now. Um, as you'd mentioned, hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy. Um, share with me over the first few sessions what it was like. First of all, what is it? From what I've seen in the movies, it's a big, you know, you lay inside of a big capsule, almost like an MRI machine or something. And then you're in there and I don't know, do they pipe in music or like, how does it work? So share with me a little bit about your first experience with it. And then gradually what you noticed after taking it. So the first 15 days I was, you you just go in and lay in a tube. They have a TV on the outside. They pump in some sound. Um, Some people sleep it's and you do that twice a day for the first 40 treatments so it's it's boring but it's it's helpful because it makes you so tired that all you want to do is sleep and sleep is healing for your brain um so the first 15 days I got I went further and further down in my depression I my therapist sent me with some paperwork and I ended up ripping it up and I'm not a very confrontational person so for me to rip it up and be like I hate you I'm not doing this was huge for me um, and then after 15 days, I started getting better and I was more awake and I had more energy and I was opening up to people. I was talking to people, 
Um, I was emailing the entire time with my parents and they started noticing my sentence structure was getting, I, I, I was allowing myself to like really communicate with people because I found the words finally. Um, and so that was the first 40 days. It was, it was a huge improvement in a short amount of time. Amazing. I heard a very similar story in a movie and the movie's called quiet explosions. We talked about it a bit offline. Um, I heard about a pro surfer that had a very similar thing. And I mean, this was a guy who was standing in front of waves as tall as buildings. You can only imagine you you go through the wash machine in front of one of those things and you're held down and pummeled by millions of gallons of water. His head was, you know, I'm sure it rattled every single side of his skull. Um, but he was the same way. And he said that after, you know, so many sessions, it was like, he was finally talking to his wife. He was finally like sharing with people. He was, it's as if his brain had been reset. Um, and I guess I want to know like, okay, so you went through one set of therapy sessions and then you went on by the end, you know, were you just amazing yourself with, wow, I'm waking up and I'm, I don't have a headache and the day looks like a blue sky day. I'm actually in a good mood. I mean, how night and day was the end result after all of the hyperbaric oxygen therapy? It it was night and day um, coming from, I think I was on 15, 18 medications to, to none at the very end. Um, it was, it was like, I was finally living how a 23 year old should live. I, people, since I had had my initial injury, they're like, you need to get into cycling. It would help. You need to get into, cause I was always an outdoor active person. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I am a permanent patient. And once I finished, I, I started doing the cycling. I started doing the hiking. I, I felt like a human again. And yeah, there was pain. It's, it's never going to be a hundred percent gone, but there was pain, but that pain kept me alive. Um, knowing that I, there were so many opportunities for me to be in the same spot as my best friend, but now I had a second lease on life. And, um, and I developed an amazing relationship with, um, the guys at Rocky mountain hyperbaric, and they allowed me to come back in for maintenance treatments. And they, they brought me into their family and, you know, anything that I needed, they, they provided for me. And, it's just so unfortunate that they have to be scrounging around for money to help more people like me. Mm. Let's give them a plug real quick. What is the organization? If you can donate this, this season, please give to this organization. I hear, I hear it changes lives. So it's Rocky mountain hyperbaric Institute. Yeah. Right on Google that Rocky mountain hyperbaric Institute, um, getting outside part of the Colorado experience. I am so glad you experienced that out there. I've, uh, you know, used to live out in the mountain West as well on the Utah side of the mountains, but it was amazing, man. Those hikes, uh, that'll change your life too. I can only imagine how thrilled you were to get back outside feeling good. Now, finally knowing that like, man, you can live 100% of life and you certainly did. In fact, you went on to hike something even more impressive than the Colorado Rockies. How in the hell did you end up at the South Pole? Share with me that journey. Um, so I had previously done Cotopaxi, which was a 21,000 foot mountain. And it was, it was amazing to, to be on top of the world, so to say. And the, the guides that took me on that were like, there's a opportunity for you to go to the South Pole. And I was like, no, I'm still not good. The sled weighs more than I do, but I put in the application. I um I got accepted. I we did a year's worth of training. 
I managed to do 30 days across the South Pole with only using lavender to go to sleep. Um, I didn't have to take any pain medication. I It was the most alive I've ever felt in my life because I was, it's, it's such a isolated environment that if you're not 100%, you will die. And it felt great that I was pulling my entire life behind me, all my food, all of my shelter, all of my warmth. It was me doing it. And I was doing it by myself, out of my head, out of my depression, out of my pain. It was amazing. I'm like envisioning you crossing this like landscape, something out of Star Wars or something, just frozen tundra for as far as you can see, bright blue sky. And here you are, the girl that could not get off the couch and stop watching Grey's Anatomy just a few years before that. Uh, describe to me the landscape of the South Pole. And um, is it what we envision the North Pole looking like? Uh, the, I actually know the, what the North Pole looks like. My husband did it right after the South Pole. But the North, the South Pole is, um, it's, it's just like a sand dunes of frozen ice. Uh, it's white. The sun kind of never goes up and down like it does here. It's just straight across the horizon all day and all night. And it's the wind kicks up the snow. So you can't see where you're going. And at times it can be so scary because you're like, what direction am I going? But it's, it's so beautiful. It is. Yeah. It's a desert without Hills. Um, and just, just nothing but horizon and nothingness. I don't know what I'm more taken with uh, your description of that or the fact that your husband's been to the North pole. You guys are like bipolar couple here. You guys have <laughs> covered both sides of the earth. And I, yeah. Um, I met him on the, um, he was an Australian injured soldier. So we met at the South pole and he went on, he was like, I gotta do, I gotta be bipolar. Um, and then he eventually came over here and moved with, with me and now we have a baby. So, yeah. Now, who would think you'd go to the South Pole of our planet and find love? Maybe more people should try that. Pull all of your belongings in a frozen tundra for 13 days and you're bound to fall in love. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, bring me up to speed real quick. You said a lot right there. Married now? Baby? Uh, life? Good? Married, baby. I uh, I came back from all of that. I decided to finally use my GI Bill. I graduated with honors, top of my class um, for public service. Yeah, I uh, I started believing in myself after HBOT, and I started believing that I'm not what some of the doctors said. You know, you're just you're gonna be damaged. You need to walk around with a helmet. And I said, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue living because my best friend can't. And so I will. And yeah, so now I'm married with a baby and I'm, I'm proud. I am, I have purpose. I've, I have what I've been looking for for a long time. I just can't thank you enough for sharing your story and for letting us know how impactful hyperbaric oxygen is. The fact that this is being overlooked, the fact that there are not things like this let alone at every VA facility. But I've wondered since I first heard about it, why we don't have stores in every strip mall in America. There is depression. There are mental health issues out there that are not being treated the proper way. And to think that we could live in a world where hyperbaric oxygen is as you can find it as easy as a Walmart. I mean, that is where we should be in America. And that is not where we are. So sharing your story, truly powerful. And uh, Margot, just uh Best of luck with everything. Um, 
and parenthood. Uh, you know, get ready. I mean, I'm going to say you might need a little more hyperbaric oxygen in your future because keeping up with the kids <laughs> and the schedules of the newborns. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you're in for a few more zombie days there, but uh, it's all good. And uh, I just wish you the absolute best. I love your story. Love your service. Thank you so much for having me. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.